as it says there in that song. We work so hard to get that money and then how difficult it is to be generous with what we may have accumulated or gained over that period of time in amassing perhaps uh, some fortune of money. <clears throat> Philippians 4, 10 to 20. Read that with me now as we think about that today as Paul closes off here with these Philippians thanking them uh, for their generous provisions in his life. Starting at verse 10. 
I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Thank you, Father, that we can now come again to uh, this last talk in the book of Philippians. I ask and pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a profound work in our hearts today as we think about uh, money, as we think about finances, as we think about this sort of uh, very vital thing in this world. Uh, Lord, this thing that actually grabs our hearts and uh, begins to direct our lives even. Uh, We pray now today that you would uh, open up our hearts uh, to see the generosity here of the Philippians and to see how the gospel uh, produced this generosity in transforming their hearts. Help us now as we think about that in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I'll grab a few questions after this talk today. So if you have any questions as we're going through, uh, please feel free to um, uh, raise them at the end. I'll give a spot for that. And I'd uh, love to uh, put some more thoughts towards that as you have those questions. We've now got to the last talk in Philippians. And for me, it's been a journey of joy. As we've seen uh, Paul write into the Philippians from a Roman prison cell, which is where he actually wrote uh, this letter from. There's been a very real sense of an overflowing joy of Paul's in Christ as he writes to uh, the church he helped plant in Philippi. As Paul revels in the gospel, it's like he's bubbling over with joy right through this book. If you went through it, you'll see a number of times there, like rejoice, even at the start of this reading, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord. There's a lot of joy here through the book of Philippians. The beauty of Christ and the transformation that the Holy Spirit brings through the gospel has been welling up through Paul right throughout this letter. At various times, he seemed to just burst out with it here. Paul treasures Christ. Paul loves the local church. And Paul's thoroughly convinced that the church is God's vehicle here upon the earth for the spread of the gospel and the growth of Jesus' kingdom. Paul has been delighted to write to the Philippians here and encourage them to stay focused on Christ and to draw their strength from him as their Lord and their Saviour. Paul's also been very keen here for the Philippians to stay on mission for the cause of the gospel as well so that more people can know Christ and know this same joy and passion that Paul has actually often spoken about uh, through this letter to the Philippians. But now he gets to the end of this letter and he wants to thank the Philippians for their partnership with him in the gospel and he wants to thank them for their generous financial provisions for himself and these provisions also for the furtherance of the gospel as well. And here for us today, 
Uh, in Western world, materialistic Australia, the idea of generosity, which the Philippians were demonstrating here, can be a very touchy subject for us. Money, it seems, sometimes has this direct line to our heart. That The moment we sort of talk about money or we lose some or gain some, it feels like it does something in our heart here and we might skip a beat or something like that. Uh, as our bank balance goes low, uh, it's amazing how quickly we can get anxious and lose our joy about life as we th- see things plummeting. For consumer-driven Australia, our wallet is probably the last stronghold that seems to resist the gospel. It seems like the gospel can do a deep work through lots of other character areas of our lives, but when it comes to money, it's like our heart fights tooth and nail to sort of hang on to what we've accumulated. It seems like it's very resistant to allow the gospel here to come in and change us and transform us. But praise God, he loves us too much to leave some areas of our life untouched by the work of his spirit through the gospel. When God comes into our lives, he's committed to change us completely, every aspect of who we are, including how we handle the generous provisions that he's given to us and what we do with those. And thankfully, when the Holy Spirit works generosity within us, it's a joyful act of worship that we experience. And God is glorified then through this generosity, through the extension of his kingdom at the same time as we generously provide. So today we want to look at the joy of the generous as they sacrificially give for the glory of Christ. First up, there's an incredible work that the Holy Spirit does when he applies the gospel to our hearts. As the Holy Spirit unpacks uh, the truth of the cross and what Jesus has done for us and what he's achieved for us there, that we realise our sins have been forgiven and that Jesus has placed an eternal hope in our hearts way beyond this world that cannot be taken away, This brings a deep contentment to our lives, a really, really deep contentment as we see what Jesus has done for us as the Spirit unpacks the work of the gospel in us. And Paul shares that contentment here in verses 11 and 12. He says there, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Contentment here is this idea of quietness of mind in any situation or any circumstances. It's to be content. It's to be quiet in mind, not ruffled by what's happening. So like Paul here is saying, whether I'm flying high with my investments when the Aussie dollar is going well, or all my chickens are hatching at once, as the old saying says, and the bank balance is climbing higher and higher every day, or... The car repair bill, the rates notice, the home loan repayment and the school fees have all come on the same day as I've lost my job. And when the bank balance is in the red and falling fast, Paul is saying, I've actually learned to be a quiet of mind and content in whatever circumstance or whatever situation I might find myself in. In abundance, Paul says, or in lack. When it's absolutely overflowing or I don't know where the next thing is going to come from to help me in life. Paul says, I've learned to be content, quiet of mind, and not ruffled by my circumstances. Contentment is one of the key foundations that the Holy Spirit builds in us in becoming generous with the resources that God has given us. The Holy Spirit, through the Bible, through the Gospel, teaches us that our trust ultimately is in God 
and not in the stuff that we may accumulate through our lives here on earth. It's in God and not in stuff. The Spirit teaches us that God knows exactly what we need and just as he cares for the birds of the air, he also cares for us. Jesus said this in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's a glorious passage there that Jesus is sharing with those people back then, and it's just as applicable to us today as we think about that. As our trust grows deeper and deeper on God and see that it's he who provides for all of life, this faith or this trust learns a sure contentment that helps us to sit quietly in any given circumstance of life. That it's he who provides. And we don't have to be anxious. And we can be content wherever we are in whatever we're facing. And this is what Paul learned through Jesus Christ. As he trusted God from day to day in every situation, in all circumstances, as he experienced God's faithfulness, Paul became more and more content, more and more quiet of mind in these difficult challenges. And sure, the challenges did come to Paul. Absolutely. I mean, he's in prison when he writes this letter. Hopeless situations did arrive for him. But as he settled himself in Christ, he was content. He learned contentment from all those situations. And from this contentment springs then a willingness of generosity because of the faithfulness of God seeing that God provides for me in every situation and I can be content in that, therefore I can be generous. And generosity here is a clear mark of the Philippian church. It's a very clear mark here and I believe this came from their own deep contentment also in Christ. But they were quiet of mind despite any situations. And it's crystal clear here that the Philippians were gospel-centred in this generosity and actively carried it out. In verse 14 there, we we see that they share in Paul's trouble. They were together with Paul in this mission of the gospel there. They were part of him in these difficult times. They were sharing this trouble with him. They saw Paul as just an extension of who they are 
as believers in Jesus Christ. And in verse 15, it makes note again of this outstanding gospel partnership that they had with Paul. It says there, and you Philippians, as he writes to them, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So there's this deep part of this generosity here that was in partnership with Paul. They were with him together, whether he was in prison or whether he was on the road doing gospel work uh, in a much more unrestricted way. They rightly saw themselves in sharing this mission with Paul. And their generosity here was springing from a deep contentment and a unity of partnership of Paul in the gospel. Now, it's actually incredible to see um, the generosity because it's really mind-blowing if we think about this Philippian church. If we, if we get the context here and the background where this generosity come from, it really does begin to actually do our heads in to think about how could these guys possibly do that. And they were the only church to do so in this situation. As Paul says, you were the only guys to do it. We can see here a bit of this context when Paul refers to the Philippian church uh, in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 5. And he says this about them. <clears throat> Paul's writing to the, to the Corinthians and he says this about the Philippian church. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, which is where the Philippian church is. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now that is staggering. That is just staggering when you read that verse. For they gave according to their means as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. It's just an amazing picture here of the Philippian church. There's a few things we've got to take note of here when we see the context of how these people were living and how life was for them. It says in verse 2 there that these guys are in a severe test of affliction. Who knows, it's possibly some sort of persecution. But whatever it is, it's desperately hard. It doesn't just say affliction, it says a severe test of affliction. So they are in really, really hard straits. Really, really hard times tells us also this church was in extreme poverty. Got to get the grasp of what extreme poverty means. That means they literally had nothing. No social security back in those days. Basically begging for existence in many respects or living on subsistence farming. Extreme poverty. They did not know what the future would hold for them. They did not know what was happening tomorrow. They did not know whether the Roman government would come in and confiscate their maybe meagre dwellings and confiscate all of their goods, because that actually happened back then. They were living in extreme poverty. So what was their trust and their response to those incredibly difficult circumstances? It says there they had an abundance of joy that overflowed in a wealth of generosity. What an amazing response from those people. It's insane if you think about it, isn't it? Severe test of affliction and extreme poverty and they respond 
with an abundance of joy and a wealth of generosity. It's insane when you consider what they were up against and how they responded in that way. How do you have an abundance of joy that overflows in a wealth of generosity when you're in a severe test of affliction and you're living in extreme poverty? How does that happen? It just doesn't seem to meet whatever way you might think about it. Just how does that flow out of that? And Paul says there that they're giving according to their means and also beyond their means and doing it willingly. They're begging, can we please take part in the relief of the saints? We want to take part in this despite our severe affliction and despite our extreme poverty. In other words, the giving of these disciples of Jesus here in Philippi was actually sacrificial, going beyond their means. They stretched themselves beyond their means at that point in time. And we see it here again in Philippians 4 where Paul sort of refers to that. Go get the picture here. Paul's sitting in a jail chained to a Roman guard and in comes Epaphroditus with the Philippian gifts. What a joy for Paul as he receives that gift. And what an amazing expression of gospel generosity to that Roman guard. Because I can imagine him saying, well, where do these come from? Who's even thinking about you? Paul says, hey, this comes from a church of Jesus followers in Philippi. They're living in persecution and extreme poverty. I can imagine the, the look on the Roman guard's face when that's said to him. And they've sent this relief to you. He wouldn't have got that. And Paul notes with this gift here, he's in verse 18. He says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul calls it a sacrifice acceptable. He knows the value of this gift. He knows what it's cost them. So it's not just generous... It's sacrificially generous as these Philippians put themselves on the stretch for the cause of Christ. They've somehow gone without something. They've looked at their lives and thought, what can we go without in order that we can help our brother Paul in the Roman prison? And somehow we can help him to be liberated out of there perhaps and for the gospel to go further and further. How can we do without something so that we can give and generously and sacrificially to see him Um, move out and perhaps the gospel will go further. If we come back to 2 Corinthians 8 again, we'll see in verse 5 here, uh, the key here for the Philippians' sacrificial generosity. It says there in verse 5, And this, not as we expected, Paul's talking to the Corinthians again, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. These Philippians committed themselves to God. And there they learn contentment by trusting in him despite the severe test of affliction and despite the extreme poverty that they're living in. They learn contentment. And as God, as the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the cross grew larger and larger and larger in their own minds as they contemplated what he had done, they then gave themselves generously and sacrificially to others first to God and then to others. And they did all this, we are told, out of an abundance of joy. 
out of an abundance of joy, overflowing in joy. This is the joy of the generous. This is the joy that those who are generous can experience just like those Philippians. And it is so, so hard in our culture to be that way. In today's culture, it is so, so hard to be generous. We are regularly told that the path to life here in the world that we live in, Australia, Western culture, Australia, that experiencing the joy of a new car is where you'll find satisfaction and fulfilment. Or receiving that new package in the post. Or exploring some exotic holiday destination. Just flick to the middle page of the Herald Sun and you'll see every Friday that whole gamut of cruise ships. This is where life has got to be found and this is where you'll discover fulfilment and satisfaction every possible way. Only to discover that yes, there are very much short-lived buzz feelings with that new car and there are very much short-lived buzz feelings of doing that cruise or receiving that new package, but that it wears off and then you need another car or another holiday or another package. It delivers some, but they're not lasting and they're not fulfilling and they won't ultimately give you the contentment that you really, really need or really, really desire. But these guys here in Philippians, they got from contented hearts in Christ that they could give sacrificially and generously for the cause of the gospel. And they did it with great joy from extreme poverty. There's something there I think we've got to see about the Philippians that could help us in this really difficult culture that we live in. Not that there's anything wrong with a new car or anything wrong with an exotic holiday or anything wrong at all with getting a package of the post. Nothing wrong with that. But if we're thinking that's where ultimately life will be fulfilled, we'll be sadly shortchanged in that. So what's God doing while all this is happening here with the Philippians? While they're generously and sacrificially giving here uh, to Paul and for the cause of the gospel, what's God doing in and through and amongst all this? In verse 18, we see that God is pleased and joyful as well. God is pleased with this sacrifice that the Philippian church is making. He's well pleased with that. But that's not all. Let's look in verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Very familiar verse with us. Very familiar verse. Often memorised and often quoted. Through this generous sacrificial giving, God supplies every need of ours. God is the God who provides. As we sacrificially give and do it in a generous way, God graciously meets our needs. And I believe especially so as we perhaps put ourselves to the stretch in sacrificial generous giving. God will meet our needs. He will meet our needs. God will honour our generosity and he will meet our need. But there's a bit of a proviso here. Sometimes people grab this verse and they sort of just paste it across everything in life. Everything's got to be seen in its context here. God's not writing us a blank check in that verse. We'd like God maybe to write us a blank check, but he's not writing us a blank check in that verse there. It's important to see that God is not our own personal magic genie in a bottle, that if we just give the bottle a rub in the right place or we put a few dollars in the plate and if I pull the handle down once or twice on the right stop, that now I can expect to have my bucket list fully funded for the rest of my life. Like God, here's my wish list. Please now supply all my desires and my wants because, you know, I've just given quite a bit of money in, in the offering the other day. Please, you know, can I just pull the lever one more time? 
That's not what God's saying here in that. God's promising to meet our needs and not our greeds. God's promising to meet our needs and not our greeds. And this is the whole context of the passage here. That as we act as good stewards of the money that God's given to us, that as we use his resources for gospel purposes, that as we may use it generously and sacrificially, then God will surely supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. He will faithfully honour generous sacrificial giving. And we can absolutely trust that God will provide in every way, in every situation, for what is best for us. There's a really classic uh, case of this. If you uh, have ever read the life of George Mueller uh, back in the 1800s, uh, George Mueller uh, was fantastic in uh, setting up orphanages, particularly around Bristol in England, probably about 150 years ago. Uh, He was a man who trusted God implicitly, just without fail. He generously, he generously gave of all of his resources for the providing of homes for these abandoned, orphaned street children uh, roaming around the streets of England at that particular time. If you read uh, biographies of George Mueller, you'll see often um, these times where he might have had, I think, six or seven large buildings housing hundreds of children, perhaps up to three or four hundred children or more. And often in those times there, uh, there was no milk, no bread, no food in their vast pantries. And George Mueller was living a life of faith. George Mueller, if, as you read this, you would see in this total contentment, he just gave himself to God, never stopped being generous never stopped being sacrificial the way he lived. But in this incredible situation, you would see time and time again, God amazingly provide for George Mueller, sometimes within minutes of serving the next meal of the, of the next day. He would wake up at five or six in the morning and he knows there's no milk in the, um, the fridge area and there's no bread, nothing there to give these kids. He would pray and God would gloriously provide a milk cart, just drive past and drop off milk and someone would just donate bread. Just an amazing picture here of the faithfulness of God in the life of George Mueller as he sacrificially and generously continued to honour God with all that he had. God honours generous, sacrificial giving. Okay, so what does this sacrificial gospel generosity look like for us here today at Exchange Church 2018, 2018? What does that do for us today? How different are we to those perhaps in uh, Philippi 2,000 years ago. Well, as I said at the beginning, money is one of those most touchy subjects to talk about. It really is. It seems to have this direct connection to our blood pressure rate. The moment you start to talk about money, people can either sort of shrink down and just sort of don't want to be heard or seen, or they just feel just heart palpitations or all sorts of things. It's incredible what money does to us as we sort of think about it whether it might be moving one way or the other. How we handle money, how we handle money is probably an accurate measurement of our trust in God and our love for him. How we handle money is probably an accurate measurement of our trust in God and our love for him. If we struggle to part with money, in giving it to the cause of the gospel, well, maybe 
our trust in God and our love for him isn't as strong or as high as we thought it was. It becomes a real acid test with our lives. Is our generosity towards God and towards the cause of his kingdom. You see, what we treasure is where our heart will be. It says again in Matthew chapter 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, money or finances can be a real indicator of our heart. I'm not saying it's the only indicator, but it can be a real indicator of our heart. Where it actually is building its life. Where it actually is building its trust. Is our heart, is the control centre of our lives, building our life in this world and all of its pleasures, that's where it's firmly focused in? Or are we taking the long view? Are we using the resources that God has given us to build his kingdom and thereby lay up eternal treasures in heaven for ourselves. I don't know, perhaps a look at our credit card or our bank statement may be very revealing about where you and I have our treasures. Maybe the trail on the credit card may just show exactly where we're building our lives and what we're really treasuring. Personally, I know just how challenging it is for me to live in this world like that and to take the long view and to invest in eternity. If you're like me, you've all driven out past Raise Outdoors and seen this massive sail out there. Every week it's sort of gone deeper and deeper. I go out there and just see how cheap everything is. I went in there a few weeks ago at Laurel with no intention of buying anything whatsoever. I had nothing on my mind to go there and buy. And I walked past these shorts and thought, gee, they look pretty good. And they're 60% off. I thought, that's been a good steward of God's money. I bought it on sale and a really good sale at that as well. But then I stopped and thought, what am I doing? I've got six pairs of shorts at home already. I don't need another pair of shorts. But it just demonstrated to me just how challenging this is. This is the world we live in. And it's amazing how quickly I can easily spend money on myself. But as soon as it comes to giving it away... It's like all of a sudden my wallet just goes, it's welded. It just won't leave my pocket. But for me, for me, on me, no problems. I can pull the credit card out and swipe it and done. It's amazing how that happens. Then I look at these Philippians and I see the transformation that the gospel has made with them. And I see so Paul so deeply in love with Christ and giving himself freely and willingly for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I look at that and I'm stirred and I'm convicted by that to go deeper with my own generosity as I see that model for me and see what the transformation has taken place in these lives. And I think about these guys in Philippi and I think, but they're in a severe affliction and extreme poverty, yet they sacrificially and generously give. And they do this from the abundance of joy. And I ask myself, what have they got that does that? How can they give when they've really got nothing to give and do it out of abundance of joy. What have they got that does that? And I see and I read that, actually, I know what they've got. 
They've discovered Jesus Christ. They've discovered the power of the gospel. They've discovered the Holy Spirit unpacks that gospel within them. They've discovered that Jesus, who's had the infinite riches of glory, riches without measure, wealth without measure, this same Jesus comes and he lays all that aside to become poor so that we might become rich in him, which is what Paul said earlier in this letter. They've discovered that. That's who they've met. Jesus has transformed them every part, including their finances. I think about that and I think about this incredibly wealthy country that we live in. We truly are. In comparison with the rest of the world, us Aussies are millionaires. We are millionaires. We were in Vanuatu a few years ago on a missions trip and some boys took us through a shortcut through the village. We were a little bit lost one night and we went through this village and I was shocked. These guys are living in slums. One PowerPoint services the whole family living in this sort of, you know, in their particular house, which is just bits of iron over bits of wood here and there. And we, it was a rainy night. We're going through and there's just water running through the mud floors of this, um, their houses or villages. In comparison to them, we are millionaires. We are millionaires. Now, I say that for this reason, which I think is critically important here for Australia. I think, I believe that one of the strongest testimonies of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Western culture, one of the strongest testimonies that we can give is the sacrificial, generous giving of its people to the growth of his kingdom. I believe it's one of the strongest testimonies we can give to this Western world we live in is through generous giving for the cause of the gospel. I really believe that this type of giving demonstrated in a rich, consumer-driven, materialistic society will send a really, really clear message. It will say something as they see generous giving in the face of a consumer-driven society. And that message will be, we are living for an entirely different hope. We are living for an entirely different world. It will be a strong message to a consumer driven world. Because the communities that we live in today, the community that, what they hope in is the hope of this world, not the hope of another world. And that we can demonstrate that by a generous living for the cause of that hope, by generous sacrificial giving. Now that won't be easy. I've already explained to you how just a simple example we're going to have to raise out and it's not wrong to buy stuff out there. Don't get me wrong there either. It's just assessing what you need after a while. It'll take all the power of the Holy Spirit to do that, to work deeply into our hearts the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will need to get the cross of Jesus Christ to go deeply within us and to see the sacrifice that he's made for us. And then we can respond in the Spirit's power to entrust ourselves to a faithful God who will not let us down in generous sacrificial giving. Yes, this will mean... I will have to examine how I spend my money. And yes, you will have to examine how you spend your money. And thinking, how can I or grow, how can I or we grow in this generosity? Examine how I can grow, how we can grow in this generous giving towards Jesus. Because here at Exchange, we are absolutely committed to this gospel. This same gospel that the people in Philipp, uh, the Philippians had. The same gospel that transformed them from a severe affliction 
an extreme poverty that out of an abundance of joy they could give with a wealth of generosity that is not affected by circumstances. We want that same gospel to absolutely transform us and to transform this community where we live in. And Exchange is absolutely committed to that. We want that gospel to go out clearly, truthfully and lovingly into our community. And we understand that God uses sacrificial, generous giving for that gospel to go out. That's what's required for the gospel to happen. That's not the only thing that's required, but it's a, main thing, a major thing that is required. Here at Exchange, we are praying for growth, continued growth. And God has marvellously given us growth over these last few years. Seven years ago, we started off with 25 people. Prior to that was a small Bible study group. Here we are today, 65, 70 people. We praise God and we thank him for the growth that we've received. If that growth keeps going, which we pray it does, as we continue to be on mission to keep sharing about Jesus, perhaps in the next six months we'll need to leave this building. That will require um, extra finances for somewhere to go. We would love to go to a permanent building if we could, not so much to buy, but maybe permanently rent it in some sense, because we'd like to, perhaps to like to launch some more ministries to reach more people with the same gospel that affected the hearts of the Philippians 2,000 years ago. That will require gospel growth and generous giving. We can praise God that Exchange, late last year, with the help of a grant, could move to funding a full-time gospel position here at Exchange Church. But that's not fully funded at this stage by the giving alone. Without that grant, we would not be able to, to do that. It requires finances for the gospel to go out. Here's what I want uh, to be as a church. And I pray this for myself and I pray this for all of us here as a church. I want what the Philippians have. They have a wealth of generosity that flows from an abundance of joy. I want gospel partnership here that is driven to see Jesus made known in a greater Shepparton community. I want to do that with you guys. I want to do that here through generous sacrificial giving that will send a clear message to the community that we are living for a different hope. A hope that is eternal. Let me pray. Father, I uh, give you thanks and I give you praise today as we uh, just look at this last passage here in Philippians where Paul thanks the Philippian church uh, for their generous sacrificial giving, Lord, from just unbelievable circumstances. Lord, we are nothing like the Philippians. We do not have a severe test of affliction upon them and we aren't living in extreme poverty. God, you have been incredibly generous to us. You've been sacrificially generous to us through Jesus Christ. That Jesus became poor so that we might become rich in him. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would radically take the gospel and that you would transform every aspect of our lives, including our generosity. I pray you'd touch this area uh, for your glory and that the gospel would expand out through this church into the community to see more and more people come into this joy of the generous. Holy Spirit, I pray, please do a deep work in our hearts today as we think and as we reflect upon that and then as we act upon that as well. Uh, Lord, I ask that 
And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions? Uh, let me think of one. You might say, well, Todd, I'm already giving to the gospel. I'm actually giving to a couple of ministries, maybe one overseas, and I'm sponsoring a few sponsor kids of Compassion. So I'm, I'm already doing that. You know, I'm sort of probably fairly generous out there. So does that count? Does that count? That's a great thing to do, and I would encourage that if you feel compelled to do that. But what I would say is um, your first port of call in giving should be the local church. It should be where you are committed to as a regular uh, attender and to uh, support the church that is actually encouraging you, helping you, and the church you're part of. That should be the first place where you contribute your finances or generosity. And sure, beyond that, if you have means available, yeah, help out other things. But first port of call, and Paul would say the same thing, um, is your local church, where where you are part of and being fed and connected to Megan, I mean, that's right. I mean, you, you may get a thought and think, oh, that's really strange, but it could be like Megan just said, to ring up Mim. Act on it. Act on it. Do it. It could be to, you just feel to cook a cake for somebody because you just felt to do it. You, might, you may know, have a bit of a, t- a tough time. Do it. Act upon it. And we've got to believe the Holy Spirit's actively working in our lives like that. And you'll be blessed in doing that, totally. How much do I give? How much do I give? What do I, what's, what's, what's the figure? What's the dollar amount? 10%, Paula says. I mean, there's no, there's no mandate or number in the New Testament... Okay, we see out of the Old Testament the word tithe, which is a tenth. Uh, I would say, as a general principle, probably start there. Probably start there. Probably start there. And you can, you can go much higher. Um, there's parts of the Old Testament where they were, it wasn't only the tithe they gave, there was other things as well. In some areas it adds up to only 20% as contributions they made to the temple and things like that. But as a principle, not as a principle, as a guide, sorry, for New Testament, for for us today, I'd say, if you're not sure, I'd probably be starting at at 10%. 10%. 
Alec, can you grab those cards? What we like to do at Exchange as well, um, and we, the board and I spoke about this over the last few weeks, uh, to help us each year in the finances, um, we hand out uh, commitment cards or gospel generosity cards. Now, on there is um, uh, an opportunity for you to write an amount. It's just yeah, one for each person, Alec. Keep going, mate. So if you're part of Exchange, she would love you to take that card and uh, to take that away. If you're married, please uh, talk with your husband or your wife and uh, prayerfully consider what you can contribute to the, the, uh, the running of Exchange Church and for the gospel to go out. Um, if you're just visiting today, um, feel free to take one, but don't feel committed that you have to, you've got to do something about that. It's for people who are regularly connected here and committed to Exchange. And uh, what that does, it helps us to, as it were, uh, do budgeting going forward. We're not asking you to write your name there. It's just um, a trusting, hey, this is what I'm prayerfully considering before God and I'm joyfully going to commit myself to. That then helps us to budget going forward on how we can plan and what we're able to do uh, at Exchange. And here we do run open books. Um, Anybody's uh, welcome to come and see what we do and uh, I can assure you that uh, as we get together and uh, do expenditure... Uh, we are always trying to be good stewards of God's money and uh, trying to stretch that as far as we possibly can go. So I'd love you to take those cards and um, come before the Lord. Uh, husband and wife talk to each other. Or if you've got any questions about finances or things like that and you're just not sure about something, um, we'd love to uh, catch up with you and uh, help you out there. Uh, Doug's a qualified accountant. He's happy to help people out on budgeting and things like that. But if you could grab those um, cards and perhaps um, maybe over the next two or three weeks we'll just remind you of them, to fill them out and to drop them back in the offering box. You don't need to hand it to me personally, just slip it in the offering box down the back there. That would be uh, really, really helpful. No other questions then as we finish there? Thanks, guys. Um, we'll just uh, come back and uh, finish with a song. So thanks, Sam. If you want to come back and uh, lead us around a song, that'd be great. If you do want to see me post-service for pre-